you waited 30 episodes and three years, and NBC didn't turn up to give you merchandise from your favorite show, La Brea. Well, NBC, you snooze, you lose. Now, you can go to is.gd slash shop to get your La Brea merchandise, including t-shirts from the Ladera Air Force Base, the Lazarus Company, and the Tongay Fort Warriors. You can also get a shirt that identifies you as a sky person or identifies you as someone who doesn't like Josh. And don't forget more intricate shirts like Dinosaurs Against Time Travel or A Dire Wolf Killed My Kidnapper. All of these are available now at a modest markup, which makes me less than $1 on each purchase. This isn't for the money. It's for the La Brea lovers. Welcome to the possibly last episode of the La Brea Purveya, where we recap and deep dive into the NBC sci-fi adventure drama La Brea. I am your purveyor, Pete Phillips. On this, the 30th episode of the series, things come to an end. And if you wanted a happy ending, you can call yourself Poe, because you are going to be Kung Fu Pandered to. That's a joke. You're going to be pandered to. <laughs> Episode recap. This episode opens with Eve and Gavin, and it's a flashback to a spot that Gavin and Eve hold dearly. We actually saw this in the last episode. Eve plants a surprise for Gavin, and it's a sonogram of Josh, or maybe Izzy. I forget who's older, honestly. It's been a long time. According to hikespeak.com, or is it hikespeak.com? This particular tree is called the Wisdom Tree, and it lives on Burbank Peak, a summit-like perch at the end of a ridge extending west from the Kohanga Peak, the highest point in Griffith Park. One popular motivation to visit this spot is to deliver a message to the Wisdom Tree. LA Weekly explains that Mark Rawlins, the man who named the tree, first saw it in 2007 via helicopter. A fire had damaged some of the area, but the Wisdom Tree was spared. Rollins then took an ammo box up to the tree and stuffed it with pencils and notepads. The box survived as a means for those who hiked up to the tree to share their thoughts. Eventually, the tree became part of Griffith Park, and the tradition continues. Uh, By the way, we're looking at, like, a whole different Eve. She seems timid and unsure of herself, but she and Gavin are both overcome with joy about the prospect of having a baby. This must be when Gavin decided that his family is the most important thing and that he would go through anything to make sure that they are all in the same physical presence of one another at all times. In 1965, Gavin is tearing up about this memory as Izzy approaches. Helena is breaking into a car and Sam is on the phone. Helena explains that they are going to an industrial park where the Rysander Group, a.k.a. Maya's Group, has their long-term holding facility, where Eve is presumably being held. Helena also wants at the building with the servers, so that she can use an EMP explosive to wipe out the computers and all their information. As Helena explains, an EMP device can shoot out an electromagnetic pulse that will disrupt electronics. EMPs have become tropes in contemporary media as a way to disable electronics and communication. One memorable instance is in The Matrix in 1999. While the most far-reaching and devastating EMP explosive would be nuclear, I believe Helena's is a handcrafted bomb. 
an electronics recycling provider, boasts, quote, Our EMP is so powerful that after a hard drive is blasted, it can never be used again. Amazingly, our EMP generator can wipe clean any hard disk drive in seconds. Sam gets off the phone, and he says that he thinks he found Riley. And we'd figure that Josh would be there, too. But we can't get them and take down the Rysander group at the same time. So Sam sets off in a stolen Cadillac, dangerously fast, to go find his daughter, while Helena says that they'll steal another car. And for some reason, she believes that the Double Aurora will be open for only three to four hours if they plan to return to 10,000 BC or 2021. And this becomes relevant when we are in 10,000 BC with everybody who is left behind. Ty, Scott, Lucas, Veronica, Ruth, and Layla. Hopefully they get back here soon with Eve. But that blue Aurora could take you home. Back to 2021, right now. Maybe you all should go. Why have the chance? Ty is sounding like an Aurora salesman here, but not everyone is keen on jumping through the lights on a whim. Veronica can't imagine just jumping through without all the other survivors. So Ruth and Layla will go to the fort and bring back all of the Sky people so that they can go home. I'm glad Veronica is thinking of others. See, maybe she is a natural leader. Scott wants to see things through and make sure that Petra is okay. So he and Ty search the guard's jeep and find Para's wedding ring. Ty is not f***ing around now. So one of the guys tells him that they found some dead villagers left over from a dinosaur attack. He's not explicit about the ring coming off of one of them, but Ty puts two and two together and gets panic. I'm just doing the math. So now this group of characters is going to go five miles east to look for Para's dead body instead of looking for Petra. In 1965, Gavin takes out a guard, and Izzy, Gavin, and Helena head for the door marked Harris in the holding facility. They don't look through the window on the door. They just open the door, and poof, it's empty. There's no Eve. Aw, dang it. Apparently, that one guy is the only person who works here. So they just walk about freely, and they find a prisoner manifest that says that they're taking a prisoner to 10,000 B.C. Pretty much the sole purpose of manifests is to have names of passengers, but this one doesn't. And we find out that they had just left, and we suspect that Maya is trying to get a hold of Eve so that she can hold her hostage and get everybody to back off and let her do her thing. Gavin says that they need to head to the Auroras to go back in time to get her. I guess no one stayed at the Aurora in 10,000 B.C., or they would have seen Eve come through with the soldiers. Hey, maybe they did. We're just not there yet. Anyway, Helena wants to stay behind so that she can bring down those servers. Take all this crap down. Take it all down! At a hospital, Sam and Riley reunite. But Riley's still not in good shape. She also doesn't know where Josh is. In order to treat Riley's possibly torn diaphragm, Sam wants to bust her out of the hospital and go through an Aurora to 2021. Riley struggles to breathe, and Sam is freaking out about it. He breaks into doctor mode and begins surgery on Riley. Before surgery, the two have a sentimental moment that goes on for a pretty long time. Like, this surgery is important. You can talk when she can breathe. Yet, no one stayed at the Aurora. Lucas, Scott, and Veronica are all looking for signs of a dinosaur attack with Ty. They find dinosaur footprints, and then a dismembered arm, and then bodies. But no para. They decide to go check the abandoned village nearby. And that is where they'll find her. But instead of keeping this important thread going, we cut to Gavin and Izzy, who are driving at full speed toward the transport jeep 
heading to the Aurora. And when the soldiers are incapacitated, Gavin and Izzy open the back of the transport jeep and they find Josh. They're all happy. I'm disappointed. But hey, who am I? Josh recalls how he was kidnapped off the street and put in a cell with Eve. He doesn't know where Eve is now because he got tranquilized. So now they have to go back to Helena because that's where she might be. But instead of taking the Jeep that seems impacted from the side, they're changing a tire on a pickup truck that hit that Jeep head on. And Izzy takes a chance to, quote unquote, check on the Aurora to make sure it's not going to close. Whatever that means. This is a throwaway line for no reason. She could have just stood there. And just as they're about to drive away, boom, Sam is racing toward the Aurora with Riley in tow. Sam probably shouldn't be racing since Riley has a diaphragm issue. The raptor attack left her with injuries to her abdomen, including this valuable muscle that contributes to respiration or breathing. Upon inhalation, the diaphragm contracts and flattens and the chest cavity enlarges. This contraction creates a vacuum which pulls air into the lungs. Upon exhalation, the diaphragm relaxes and returns to its dome-like shape, and air is forced out of the lungs. Today, this procedure can be handled with minimal invasion laparoscopically, which would involve a small scope and less of an open surgery. Sam was probably right to get her to 2021, but that bumpy Cadillac ride would have probably caused Riley a lot of pain. Regardless, Sam takes Riley through the Aurora ASAP, But before he does, he shakes hands with Gavin, and they both agree to go their separate ways. While they're waiting on Ty and Scott, or a dinosaur, Veronica and Lucas revisit the idea of going to 2021. Lucas explains that he had found himself, and he found Veronica. But Veronica found some good stuff, too. No mention of him being wanted by authorities when he gets back to 2021, but that's okay. Let's be optimistic. Veronica admits that she's having cramps and she's scared, and it's all feeling really iffy for her. And in the meantime, Ty finds a dead woman, but it's not Para. And then he hears someone calling for him, and that is Para. She's pinned under some heavy beams, but she's alive. Para mentions that she and the people she was with were attacked by a pack of dinosaurs. Scott uses physics to lift the beams, and then a T-Rex shows up just to remind them that life is unpredictable. Lucky for our heroes, they outrun the T-Rex on foot, and then in Jeep, as Lucas picks them up and drives away. The idea of dinosaurs as pack hunters came about for us probably in Jurassic Park. But for Michael Crichton, the writer of Jurassic Park, it may have come from this, which is covered in Discover Magazine. In 1969, paleontologists found the partial remains of an herbivore alongside at least four similarly shredded carnivores raptor-looking guys. At the time, the researchers proposed that the carnivores hunted cooperatively to bring down this herbivore before evidently succumbing to early deaths themselves. This 112-million-year-old crime scene is at the origins of the dinosaur pack-hunting hypothesis, says Daniel Brinkman, a museum assistant at the Yale Peabody Museum. Pushing back, he likens it to the following scenario. A solitary kimono dragon can kill something considerably larger than itself. But as soon as it spills its prey's blood, every able-bodied kimono dragon within a nine-mile radius converges on the kill. Thus, he argues that the predatory dinosaurs may have hunted individually or, at most, formed loose associations. 
In other words, each hunter had its own interests at heart, unafraid to fight over kills or possibly engage in cannibalism if necessary. So, after we get the tire changed on the pickup truck, the Harrises intend to go back to get Eve from Rysander Lander. But Helena speeds onto the scene now. She says she saw Eve fighting two guards. She helped her out, told her everything, and Eve took the EMP to plant the device to take down the servers. Helena had to let her go, and Eve told her that they have to get the microchip away from Maya in 10,000 BC. So they decide to listen to Eve and go back for that microchip. All four walk through the Aurora, and they walk through different colors because it's the finale, and we don't have time to create a new CGI Aurora. We'll just reuse the one from last episode. And by the way, who thought I would be saying Aurora so much when I started this podcast? Welcome to Aurora! Most of the survivors end up going through the portal and heading to 2021, where they will have to tangle with their doubles and all of that. But then this conversation happens, and I didn't expect it at all. This is the best thing for for the baby. And you're sure you can't come? Because Gavin and others, you know, we owe them our lives. So I decided to help the one with her. Who knows how long that aurora's going to stay open? What if you don't make it there? No, I will. Okay, I swear on everything that I love, I will make it. So Veronica goes in after a big romantic kiss, and now everyone left over has to kick some butt so that they can get Lucas back to her in 2021. Most of the people who are left are villagers, and with a T-Rex in hot pursuit of only people from 2021, the villagers get away nice and easy. Our gang, though, of 2021 people, is huddled in a jeep, racing through the woods on a very nicely paved road. Thank God this CGI is better than the river. Maya and the Rysanders seem surprised to hear a T-Rex. Like, why wouldn't they be prepared for an incident like this? You built your base in a T-Rex's backyard. Anyway, once the Rysanders start shooting at the T-Rex... It suddenly doesn't care about the people from 2021. It is going in and chomping people who are shooting it. So the Eve Covery team sneaks into the place, but a guard is dragging Petra along somewhere else. She's fighting back, so Scott and Lucas decide that they have to go save her while the others go for the chip. And that chip is looking so evil. It is backlit in red, and it's the most maniacal computer chip I've ever seen. Everyone reunites with Petra, and as Gavin stands there holding the chip in the air, Lucas says what we're all thinking. Great, what the hell are we still doing here? So, Gavin takes the chip. He has a chance to break it, and I'm surprised that Helena doesn't just shoot it right out of his hands, but the chip is still together and still in play. Everyone likes chips. So now they need to get back to the Aurora, but lots of dudes with guns are standing in their way. And Maya's there, too. She demands the chip. And it's not looking good for our heroes until a few arrows pierce a few men and Ty comes throwing a spear with some fort warriors. Where is that dinosaur? A big brawl ensues and Izzy tries to run away from a man with a knife. This is where Layla comes in to save her because they're in love. But they still don't kiss or say it or anything like that. So now that they have the chip, they need to go back through the Aurora to 1965, I think? Or maybe 2021? But from a distance, they can tell that the Aurora has closed, and everyone is deflated. 
Oh, except Josh, who asks how they'll get back to his mom. Thank you, Captain Obvious. If I'm not mistaken, don't these auroras open all the time? Why is everybody so sad? Did I miss something? Oh, but don't worry. Gavin has an idea. Gene, drumroll, please. Now we're at the moment the writers think we've been waiting for. The time machine, Jet. Aside from Gavin and Helena, the rest of the people going back can stay in the cargo area. Perfect. Everything's coming together. Oh, wait, there's Maya with a gun to Josh's head. I won't say it, but you guys know what I'm thinking. Don't worry, he'll be fine. In a stunning turn, Gavin tosses the chip toward Maya, while Helena shoots Maya before she can catch it. Oh my... Wait, where is Petra? Did Petra just watch her mother get murdered? Oh God, I hope not. Ah, who cares about childhood trauma? Let's fire up this jet. And now, of course, to heighten the tension, the T-Rex reappears. Hey everybody, I'm back! So... Gavin decides that it's a great idea to play chicken with the T-Rex, and of course he wins. And now they're flying, and they put the chip into place, which opens an aurora and takes them through time to 2021. I'm not understanding the mechanics of how this is all working, but the jet is perfectly landed in a field somewhere in California, and Petra is there, and I'm really worried about Petra's mental health. They're back in 2021, but there's no Eve yet. Maybe Eve could have gotten through the Aurora before it closed. And so Lucas has to find Veronica, and Josh needs to find Riley, and Gavin invites Helena to dinner, but how the hell is she supposed to know where to go and when dinner is? And then, look, Riley's okay, and Josh slathers on the sampiest lines over an acoustic guitar to confess his love. He's not playing it, it's just the background music. That continues while Veronica is getting a sonogram, and she and Lucas are ecstatic. Scott comes in to tell them that he's going to take Petra to her grandparents' place. But before he leaves, he says, uh, What happens in 10,000 BC doesn't stay in 10,000 BC. <laughs> Which must have really confused the hell out of the radiology tech. And that acoustic guitar remains when Scott meets up with Emily, who goes, How are you alive? I thought you fell in that sinkhole. And she's probably fully mourned him and everything and moved on. Uh, but he tells her all the ways that he's changed in weird details, and he asks Emily for a second chance. They kiss. And honestly, how is this woman still single? I don't want to sound rude, but she's definitely too hot for Scott. Hey, that's a fun rhyme. Back at the fort in 10,000 BC, Ty gives Para her ring back, and they're in love. He doesn't have to wear pelts or anything yet either, so things are going great for him. The Velez family also comes together over Riley, and Gavin comes in to see them. So, we're really just missing one more connection. And if you ask me, we might want to check that tree from the opening scene of the episode. But, this tree is fat, and Eve is skinny, and they can't find her anywhere. So, I feel like she might be on the other side of the tree, but she's not. And then, Izzy gets so bitchy about things again. Like... You know where she is as much as your dad does, so stop asking him, where's mom? Just take a deep breath. Gavin and his kids camp out at the tree and wait for Eve to come by. After, quote-unquote, hours, Izzy is very whiny, all like, where is she? Like, it's the finale, kid. She's coming at the last possible moment. We all know this. And then, of course, she shows up. And she's in that same jacket that she's been wearing all three seasons now. That's cool. That's a nice jacket. And now they're all within an arm's length of one another. 
So Gavin has finally succeeded at his intention. And Eve digs up a box from a tree with letters for her family. They'd never have found them without her. Each letter tells how she feels about each one of the family members. They don't read them there, and we don't watch them read them later. Instead, Gavin says that they should go home, still not realizing that home is where he is already. And so, one of Los Angeles's most annoying families walks off into the proverbial sunset. The End What Just Happened Okay, I got a little lost in the shuffle here. First, what happened with the prehistoric plants? Like, if it wasn't going to turn into anything, then why did you even plant that seed? No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) And the microchip? I really lost track of the line there. It makes time travel happen, but there's only one, and it needs to be in the jet as it goes through time? It seems like a faulty design. And how do the auroras appear? Is that central unit that Maya had the chip on responsible for those? And so when Gavin took it back, the aurora closed? Because without that thing running, then how did Eve get back to 2021? She was in 1965, so let's say she went through the aurora from 65 to 21 before it disappeared, just so we can feel better about this. Who cares? It's over. To that end, the double aurora in 1965 does have one red and one blue option. So, how did our heroes know which color goes where? Who cares? It's over. And also, how did Maya get Eve? Did Eve fall through that portal at the end of Season 2 and just land back in 10,000 BC? And if so, that's a little anticlimactic, huh? Who cares? It's over. Once we're back in 2021, it seems like they just abandoned that jet in a random field outside of L.A. Okay, sure, what else are they going to do with it? But a few seconds of someone snapping that chip in half could have gone a long way for peace of mind with the audience. Who cares? It's over. There is absolutely no closure with Petra at all. She just goes to live with her grandparents? She saw her mother murdered. She was kidnapped and manhandled by adult men who were sent by her mother. She traveled through time, and the closest bond she formed was with a postgraduate-aged man. This girl needs help. Probably really need someone to talk to. And who are these grandparents? If they raised the cunning, calculated, and cold Maya, what are they going to do with Petra? Who cares? It's over. Series creator David Applebaum said that we would not be disappointed with the finale, but I am. The ending was just as silly as everything else, so I should be okay with it, but I am disappointed. If one character's life didn't work out, I would be on board. If Emily was like, oh, sorry, Scott, I'm engaged to someone else, then I'd have seen an air of reality to the ending. He'd still have friends, and maybe he'd meet someone new through those friends. But the fact that every single person got exactly what they wanted feels really unrealistic and hollow. But look at me. I'm still asking why this show about time travel, black rock, prehistoric skyscrapers, and dinosaurs isn't realistic. I guess I haven't learned my lesson at all. Digging deeper. On Rotten Tomatoes and on IMDb, La Brea has pretty low scores. And I've always felt that that was a little unfair, since the overall piece, the show, wasn't over. You could definitely rate episodes, but how can you really rate the whole series if it's not over yet? Now that it is over, I think it's fully justifiable for me to do just that. 
If you haven't listened to every episode, then you don't know. But part of my work includes being a professor. And so I'm used to grading things with rubrics, and that's why I set one up here. On 10 main points, I'm going to rate La Brea, and it's going to come to a cumulative score, which will be represented by a letter. You've been to school. You know what this is about. The first is creativity, and I'm going to give the show a 10 out of 10. The whole premise is creative, and the writers wrote themselves in and out of holes the whole entire show, and it takes brute creativity to do that. And honestly, I commend them on this. Next, the characters. I gave a 7 out of 10 for this. I think the characters worked pretty well, but you all know how much I loved the background ones much, much more than the Harris family. In an effort to set the story up properly, I think some character definition was lost, and some of the characters ended up falling into tropes. But overall, they're what kept me coming back. Next is the setting, which I gave a 9 out of 10. 10,000 BC is a great setting. While there wasn't very much realistic about the actual setting, it was still a nice reason for them to not have phones, and it also created many other obstacles, which made the story more engaging. I'm pulling the one point just because of the seemingly randomness of the 80s and the 60s, as other settings. For plot slash story, I gave La Brea a 6 out of 10. And I don't know that many people would disagree. I had trouble understanding Gavin's motivation throughout the entire series, which made it hard for me to watch and hard for me to root for him. He was a driving force in the show, and not understanding what made him a driving force made it hard for me to watch. And while it's true that I'm not a father, and you could say that I don't understand because I'm not a father, a lot of the people who watch the show probably aren't fathers. Also, losing points for the convenient plot points and holes and lack of explanation in Season 3 is unavoidable. I understand your situation, but because of the constraints, you made a decision, and you have to live with it. For the style of the show, 7 out of 10. I like the style. The makeshift housing, the cobbled-together outfits, the overall lighting and coverage, it all made sense and it all worked. And while some will complain that the characters changed clothes at all, I'm pulling points because some of them didn't. Eve keeping that jacket in such good shape for so long... Come on. Number six is a little bit longer. Uh, This is, does this meet the goals of the project? And for this, I give it a 10 out of 10. It absolutely does. Applebaum got his show about a family stuck in time, and he closed the loop. You can't argue with the fact that he did what he set out to do, which is why for the next item, effort, I'm going to go for an A for effort. Nine out of 10. This was a gutsy show, And I liked it for that reason. And as some Redditors piled on hate in the La Brea subreddit, I found myself rooting for the show even more because it felt like an underdog. Number eight, the concept. Nine out of ten. I think the general concept of surviving uh, space and time travel made the show fun to watch. Overall, these concepts alone helped create several episodes of the series. The broader concept of the show was also pretty wonderful. A ragtag group of randos lost in time? Count me in any day. Next up is the tone. The tone of the show was appropriate all the way through, but it could have benefited from someone like us, the audience. In a way, all of the characters were like us. They were totally clueless and grasping at straws about how to survive and what was going on. But the situations they found themselves in and the convenient ways out, someone should have just been able to joke about that and not Judah. Lastly, technical skill. 
I'm going with a 6 out of 10. Look, lots of people diss the CGI in the show, and in many cases it was warranted. A 6 out of 10 sounds like an F, but it's really better than halfway there. The show has a budget, and you got to work with what you got. But when we get to dialogue, exposition dumps, and incongruities, the writing was technically off as well. So ultimately, La Brea ends up with an 80 out of 100, which I realize some would say is generous, but if you came for fun and stayed for silly and enjoyed the ride some characters had, then a B- minus is great. Without thinking, I'd have probably given it a B off the top of my head. We know that there are masterpieces out there, and this isn't one of those. It is entertaining entertainment. And it's not easy to get a show on TV. There aren't any stats that indicate percent of broadcast productions that come from a good idea. But I think Applebaum and his team should be proud of what they accomplished here. Is this the end of this podcast? There may be one more episode on the way. As with most things, it helps to let things digest after a big meal. And we just ate a whole lot with this finale. Maybe in a bit, I'll be back to share some more about the show. So stay subscribed for another month or so. And of course, if you liked what you heard here, you can rate us somewhere. If you have any questions or ideas, please feel free to reach out via yallheardpod at gmail.com. That's the email address for the parent podcast to this show, Y'all Heard, where you can hear more of me. If you have a dollar to spare, we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash yallheard. If you have more dollars to spare, then don't forget to check out is.gd slash shop for some La Brea merch. Otherwise, enjoy yourself and believe in happy endings. I'm trying to.